My name is Hemish Alangaratne, and I'm the founder of RX Group and the host of Let's Talk Quality. Let's Talk Quality is a podcast aimed at quality assurance professionals in pharma and biotech. Join us to learn from some of the best QA leaders around the world and hear how they've developed their careers as they provide some practical insights into how they've got to the top of their field. Our mission is to shine a light on what good quality assurance really means for pharma and biotech. What impact does it really have on the patient? We want to explore some of the biggest challenges facing the sector and inspire the next generation of quality assurance leaders to continue to help bring safer and better quality therapies to patients. Welcome to season one. I hope you enjoy the show. Morning, Greg. Good morning, MS. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Very good. It's um, you, you. You mentioned there just before we start, we, you've got some uh, some building work going on in the background. So I do. It not, was supposed uh, to be done before you called me, but uh, <laughs> late plans. Not to worry. Not to worry. And um, um, well, well, uh, let's let's get into it, Greg. Thanks for joining, and welcome to the podcast. Let's talk quality. Um, really interested to hear i suppose your background and and um and the reasons why i suppose we're talking about the topic uh, that we are talking about um but i suppose to add some context to the conversation when we first spoke it was really evident that one of your key i suppose goals and, and visions and and personal uh, motives is to leave the biotech the pharma and biotech and particular quality assurance in a better place uh, than when you um, started in the industry and, and when you've um, uh, uh, when you found it um, so I suppose just to start us off um, give us a bit of an intro about who you are but also if you could share with the listeners why leaving a legacy um, and leaving the industry in a bet- in a better place is is important to you personally absolutely so Greg Whitehead. Uh, I'm the head of quality for Editas Medicine. I've been in uh, the biotech space for about 30 years now, uh, mostly cell and gene therapy. So I've been really fortunate to have a career um, focused on novel indications, um, unmet needs. It's It's been a, a very rewarding career, which I think segues into the the thought process around leaving a legacy. Um, I, I it's not an easy career, um, and I and this kind of where we landed uh, when we talked uh, about potentially doing this podcast. Most of us in quality didn't set out on a career thinking we were going to be in quality. We didn't take courses in college. We didn't think, "Oh, someday I'm going to be a head of quality." We ended up here, um, and I and again we talked about it. Does that make us the quality professionals stronger because of that background? rather than having you know a PhD in quality and coming out of school and thinking I knew everything, building it as we went. Um, so again, over the course of 30 years, you know, the, the, the career has been amazing. It's been very rewarding. The relationships I've built uh, across multiple companies, you know, really, really meaningful to me. Um, and just the older I got, the more I started thinking about, you know, what, what's, what am I leaving behind? Uh, and I'm hoping that I'm leaving a workforce, you know, a, a group of people that have either worked for me or that I've influenced from afar um, that are better positioned to think through risk-based decision-making, phase-appropriate decision-making, you know, that that quality is not simply GMP or GCP or whatever, you know, pick pick one, um, that it's really a philosophy. Uh, and and I really do hope that as I exit uh, the industry, because I'm on, I'm on, the other side of uh, the career from, you know, someone like you, 
um, I am I am thinking about retirement and and I really hope that uh, um, I can leave a, a group of professionals in a better position um, than than I found the, the the industry when I joined 30 years ago. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, uh, you, you don't you don't particularly look like you're that close to retirement, Greg. So, oh. <laughs> um, well, it's been it's been a long road. Let me... <laughs> well, um, let's we can get into I suppose where where you are now on that journey. But if we take it back to the beginning um, or or close to the beginning, <clears throat> where was the industry when you found it in terms of what was the landscape what were the, where was it where was it heading where were the challenges um and how do you think it's evolved over the years yeah you know i, I didn't start in cell and gene therapy i started in traditional biologics and a vaccine manufacturing facility and, and i guess if you go before that i was a i was a med tech in a in a hospital setting which is regulated as well so i've been in that regulated um environment for quite some time you know, when I, my first foray into the FDA was, it wasn't officially under consent decree, but they essentially come in and shut the facility down, say, citing, you know, lack of, lack of validation. It was a very adversarial uh, relationship with the FDA. It was, I don't want to say we hid things. It was certainly not purposefully hidden, but it was, they were not partners. They were not, they were not, uh, um, you know, collaborators trying really in the best interest of, of patients trying to get these products out um, out to the market. So I think that that relationship has transformed um, over the years. The the relationships, um, the my teams, my regulatory bodies uh, um, uh, within the, the companies I've worked with, um, uh, the the relationships they formed with the with the, the health authorities has been phenomenal. And it is very clear there are a group of professionals who want uh, just like we do. We want the best thing for the people that are in need. Um, and I think that transformation has been phenomenal. I do think the FDA is under-resourced, overstrained, cannot, uh, and it's probably not just the FDA. I mean, I, I've experienced in Europe as well, and it's the same phenomenon. There's just not enough professionals to go around. I don't think that they're rewarded as well as people in industry are rewarded. So there's always that kind of lookout uh, to, to potentially you know move into industry to maybe recoup some of the losses that they, they, they made in the early parts of their career. Um, but I do think that that's where um, the transformation I have seen uh, since the early days has, has been in a very positive direction is that collaboration with with the agencies to to really get these amazing medications out there to, to the people that need them. Hmm. That's an interesting, a really interesting point. What's how have how is, how is, has that relationship improved like what have been have there been triggers have there been certain events along the way or is it a case of just um a um a better collaboration and a better focus on collaboration over the years yeah it's it's a it's a great question i don't know that i have the answer i can i can only speak for the segment i work in and i've heard you know cedar is different um you know maybe not quite as collaborative um i've seen professionals come out of other other parts of the industry small molecules what have you that haven't had the experience I've had. I can just speak to you know the last twenty to twenty-five years in cell and gene therapy. I I I personally think the collaboration is because they're as excited about the prospect as we are. They're, the the science is amazing. The fact that we can engineer cells that we can knock in or knock out you know um, you know targets and in, in different cellular types. It's pretty phenomenal to think what we can do and to think of you know 
just 10 years ago was the first gene editing, you know, CRISPR, CRISPR designed gene editing, um, you know, not even in the clinic yet. And here we are on the verge of first in class approvals with CRISPR therapeutics. Um, I, who doesn't want to be a part of that? Um, I can tell you that our experience at Dendran, first ever autologous um, uh, therapy in the U.S., approved in the U.S., and the regulators that we interacted with were excited about being a part of it. Um, they they weren't easy, believe me. None of it was easy. They didn't let us off lightly. It was it was a, a hard road, but they were they were there every step of the way. Um, you know, trying to help us from advice or what have you, very rapid, um, you know, uh, communications of, you know, type C meetings or what have you, various interactions, um, but very routine um, uh, opportunities to discuss various topics topics with them, again, with, with the best interest of the patient in mind. Mm. And, and, and just keeping on the FDA um, front or the, the regulators um, collaboration relationships, I suppose people that are, Early in, early on into their leadership career, or even haven't haven't necessarily started their leadership career in quality, but are going into that where they're liaising with the FDA and or regulatory authorities. What what advice would you give to those people that are potentially starting on their journey of um, of working with with regulatory agencies? Yeah, uh, don't be afraid. Uh, it is it it's a it, believe it is a scary conversation. It can be a scary group of people to interact with. They're very smart. They brought in talent um, that's phenomenal. However, you are an expert in your area. You're an expert in your drug. You are an expert in what your company is trying to do. And if you are if you are doing the right things with again with the best interest of the patient in mind, you know don't don't go in based out of fear. Go in in a collaborative mindset. Don't hide things. Be very open and communicative with them. Um, I just think the other way doesn't serve our patients at all. Uh, and it's the advice I give to every person going into a type C meeting um, or really any, any type of meeting, BLAs, um, you know, uh, I should say uh, pre, pre-approval inspections that are a result of a BLA. You know, they can be scary. You know, they're, they're, again, they're there trying to make sure that you as an organization are doing the right thing, that you are doing what you have written in your in either your IND or your, your BLA or your MAA if you're in Europe. Um, and so it can be daunting, but again, if you are approaching it from a good space of that, keeping that patient's interest in mind, um, and doing, following the regulations, doing the right things, you are an expert in, in what you, in, in your drug, in your, in your processes and your procedures own them. Yeah, it's great advice. And I want to go back to your point that you made at the start. It's funny because in, um, in recruitment, a lot of people's fall into recruitment you don't do a um a, a degree or a master's no. in in recruitment um but a lot of people fall into it and uh, you mentioned there a lot of people fall into quality um or quality assurance um do you think that's is that could, could that be a good thing for the industry because people are i suppose um have to adapt and and often learn on their own accord and through experiences I do. I actually do think. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I, there was a time when I thought, "Gosh, a degree would be great." A, you know, a, a course. If I'd have been in college and somebody told me that this was a possible career, maybe I would have gravitated toward it. Um, but you know, I think as as I've progressed in my career, I I think the diversity of thought that we bring by coming from such a varied background makes us stronger. Um, and I and I do think what makes specifically quality assurance what makes a a true 
first class talent in QA is is leadership. Um, you have to, no matter what level you are, you have to be able to make a decision. You have to stand up for your decision, even um, uh, potentially in opposition um, to very senior management. You know, product disposition is the easiest easiest one to point out that ultimately a, a, a QA specialist on the floor could have the ultimate authority to, to, to reject a batch. And not even the CEO of that company has, has the authority, should have the authority, and that's not always the case, but should have the authority to override that. Um, you know, and it's, it, it takes a, a special skill set. I don't exactly know what it's called. Um, <laughs> resilience, maybe I'm not sure, but it takes some special skills to, to really own up and, 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 um, to take that, uh, to really take that responsibility. Maybe it's accountability. It's both. I guess it's responsibility and accountability because it's, it's a lot on a person's shoulders. Yeah. And there's not, you know, you don't get taught a lot of those those skills, those softer skills or harder skills, as as it can sometimes be um, you, spoken you about. Again, I mean, I know there's some coursework out there, you know, embedded in biotech programs and what have you. I've I've taught a course or two in my past, but they're very cursory, uh, mm -hmm. and it's it's really you know you get the the basics of you know what is a deviation, what is a kappa, those types of things. You know, that's that's the least of our worries. Um, it really is, you know, to your point, you know. The, the the degree is not what makes a QA professional. It's it really is that that learning through experience. Um, and I think if you if you really I, I, I sound like a broken record, but if you really keep that patient front and center in your mind, you make the right decisions. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of the people that I speak to, both from this show and more in general, it's keeping that patient centric approach, um, which is often what separates the. Um, the good leaders, um, I suppose, especially in quality. Um, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think I think many times, you know, over my career, if I, you know, um, if I think of just difficult times, you know, when I felt like the world was on my shoulders and, you know, everybody hated me because I was rejecting a product or I was telling people no, or I was insisting on deviations. You know, I, I would center on that, on that patient. I would call it a North star, call it, you know, whatever you want to call it. But you center on it and you just you you dig in and you you're there for a reason. We are here for a reason. Um, it's not to make people's lives difficult. It is really to protect the the interests of people who don't have who who don't who are not there front and center protecting themselves. It's it's up to us. We've been have been offered a um a very uh um oh what's I'm I'm drawing a blank on what what the word I wanna what what I wanna use, but you know, it's a, um, it's a mission. It's a, you know, it, it's, we've drawn the, the card and the, uh, the pack that, you know, we are, we are mission driven and, um, you know, really, really take that, that seriously. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking to, uh, um, Ed Mustang on the show last a few weeks yeah. ago, he, um, he used the quote, the quality is not the office of product prevention. Um, which is often what people may in, in, in various parts of the industry may refer to quality over the years. Do you think that's another change or how uh, that how the industry has evolved over the years from when you started on it is that, I suppose, integration of quality into the wider business along with the collaboration with the FDA, better, or better collaboration with the FDA. Is that another, um, I suppose, change for the better over the years? And, and where are we on that journey? I'd, I'd like to think so. I don't. I don't think it's as widespread as we would hope. I still think there is a little bit of what I call old school quality. 
Um, it's, you know, the easiest thing to do is say no. The easiest, the easiest decision is to reject a product and not, because there's no risk involved. Um, you know, you don't put something into somebody's body, there's zero risk involved. But I think approaching it from a, a, a true risk-based decision, you know, making process, and, and not just a simple no, um, I do think is the right way to go. Embedding quality as a culture, not as a, you know, a, a culture and a mindset, not as a, a function that, you know, polices, I think is the right way to go. I, I don't think it's gotten as much traction as we had hoped, but there's a lot out there. And I, again, that kind of goes to the legacy is I hope that, uh, that at least the people I've influenced are building quality units like that. That is that do make risk-based decisions that do not immediately jump to the why we can't do something, why something isn't um, allowed, and I and it's a unique space uh, uh, that that we find ourselves in today. And again, I, I live in the cell and gene therapy space, so maybe maybe not everybody finds the the uh, the same openings. But you know, I've had discussions with the FDA about drugs that have failed their specification, but the risk profile, the risk benefit profile of a patient getting it versus not, the FDA has agreed with us to 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 um, proceed with administration. There was a time in my career when I would have said that that can never happen. Um, and I realized after that discussion occurred and I listened to the FDA and I listened to our clinicians, really put through that risk benefit analysis, stop stop speaking first, Greg. <laughs> don't say no. Don't, don't let those words, that, that word come out of your mouth until everybody else has spoken. It may still be no. I may not be able to get there, um, but don't start with a no. Don't lead with that. Hmm. Yeah. And are there any um, trends or um, shifts that you are observing that will, will um, I suppose, over the next 30 years um, shape our industry? Um, obviously, you've mentioned a few that have happened over the last 30 years. What, what about the future? You know, it's it's a slow evolving industry for sure. <laughs> you know, the science is amazing. It's incredibly innovative. I don't think quality has been as innovative as we could be. Um, and, it, you know, I, I, I laugh at like, you know, sterility testing is, is kind of what I point at. You know, the FDA still considers the old CFR 14 day put in eye culture as like, you know, the gold standard. We have amazing technology that is light years ahead, I think, better at detecting, you know, microbial contamination. With that said, it's slow to adopt any, you know, a lot of these things. Um, and I think QA is no different. Um, I, I really, you know, I've beaten my drum for years over, over risk-based decision, you know, quality risk management. I personally believe it is the key to a, a robust quality management system um, and an effective quality unit. And I, I've had an opportunity once in my career to be, you know, to be brought in very early at a company um, before we'd even treated a patient. And I built my, the first program I built was quality risk management. And I built the entire quality management system on top of it. It was amazing. Fortunately, the science didn't pan out. That company didn't work out, but, uh, you know, um, I still think it's the way to go. And I, and I hope that someday people understand it's not, it's not a nice to have. It is pure foundational to what we do to be, and, and to be effective and to, you know, I think be efficient to be to save money to push money into clinical development and not just layer unnecessary um, uh, systems on top of systems to, to to get products out the door. So that's not a great answer because I don't think quality risk management is 
the most exciting or not novel certainly isn't new. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I certainly haven't stumbled across anything that's, you know, transformative or, or going to be transformative. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I suppose looking back at your career now, um, obviously hindsight's a, a great thing, but are there any, um, pivotal moments or, or lessons or decisions that you made uh, in the past where looking back, you would have, um, with all the experience that you've gained and knowledge you've gained over the years that now you would handle differently. I'm, I'm, and I'm sure there are plenty, but there are, <laughs> well, hopefully not too many, but um, are there any ones that you look back and think, yeah, that's something that I, I would hundred percent do differently now? Yeah, there are. I, uh, I, many, and, and I, again, doing it differently, I don't know, means I would have done it right. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I made the best decision I could at the time. Um, I do believe that the only bad decision is no decision. However, um, I think, you know, big thing, big milestones in my career that I wished I would have done differently, overbuilt. We, you know, we at Dendrion, we, we thought we owned the world. We built huge manufacturing facilities. We hired thousands of people thinking, you know, it was just going to be this floodgate that we were going to have to support uh, when patients saw the amazing product that we had made. And, you know, years of having to lay people off and downsize and downsize and downsize, you know, close plants, you know, shutter parts of plants, sell plants. Um, I, you know, the lesson coming out of that was don't overbuild, don't, don't, you know, let's do a slow ramp. On the other side, I've been at companies that didn't build soon enough and then you're playing catch up. Um, so again, I don't know that there's a, a Goldilocks scenario where it would be perfect, but I think just being a little more cautious um, in like uh, in like thinking your technology is going to solve all the world's problems and everybody's going to adopt it um, was one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned. Again, I you know I, I was a director in, in corporate quality assurance at that point. You know, it wasn't like I was making those decisions; I was along for that ride, but. I really wish I, you know, I wished I'd had a stronger voice to ha to 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 moderate growth a little bit, um, a little bit more in that time frame. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I suppose that's good, um, a good lesson that aspiring quality leaders can take. It is, and I and I do think that that's why um, you know these days I'm very conscientious about long range planning. I'm very, you know, I. I I will go to great lengths to figure out assumptions for next year, for the year after, where is the company going? And and my approach is not just quality, it's enterprise-wide. It's another trait that I think is very important to a quality professional is really thinking across the enterprise. Um, we're in a, key, in, a, in, a, in a unique position to really sit across the organization and make sure that you know the subject matter experts aren't brought to bear on the subjects that they have the most ex, um, expertise in. Um, but with that said, I think, you know, long range planning and road mapping or, you know, whatever it is your company calls it, I think, you know, ensuring that you're looking across the entire organization and building holistically um, is, is critical. And I, I don't know that it's a quality function. I, I think it's more of a leadership function, to be quite frank. Um, but I see that missing in many leaders across the organization, across mm. across the industry, I should say, not just my organization. That was not a Freudian slip. Don't worry, we can we can edit that bit out. <laughs> Don't worry, I know it was, it was, I know it was a slip. Um, I suppose in in the next chapter of your journey, or you know, uh, the next few years, um, how are you planning on working towards and and um, 
not necessarily finalizing, but walk, working towards your your vision of leaving a legacy and leaving the better, leaving the industry in a better place. Like, are there any, um, are there any practical things that you are you're doing? Yeah, I, you know, it's 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 interesting because I I've I've thought about you know leaving the industry of consulting, but my mission to really you know mentor a coach and lead teams has stopped me. You know, uh, um, I've always wanted to be a part of that, to be, to lead an organization, to influence the generation within a company, the next generation within a company. Um, and I've done that, I think, successfully at Dendrion, at Bluebird, at Rubius. And, 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 and I'm very proud of, of the people um, that have been part of that journey and where they are today. I can, you know, throw a stone and hit, you know, five um, heads of quality within, you know, w- within shouting distance from where I'm sitting today that have reported into me. Um, and there's, and there's more than that out there. It's, it's pretty, it, it, it shocks me at time, but how do you make that on a, how do you, how do you do that on a larger scale has always kind of been the question. So pre COVID it was, okay, I'm going to, I, I'm going to really invest time in conference in talking at conferences in being a speaker at various um, you know, whether it be PDA or ASGCT or whatever it is on the topic of quality um, and trying to impart maybe a little bit more philosophical um, thought out there into the industry, not just within the organization I work in. COVID, you know, took me out at the knees and most of us out at the knees. And, you know, that was not uh, was not able to continue. But now it's starting to pick up again. So, you know, my my goals over the goal over the next few years, not only build, I I hope a first class organization at Editas and something that can propel these uh, these amazing gene edited products across the finish line into commercialization, um, but also uh, the next generation my succession plan that can take on what I've built and move forward with it when I decide to leave. Um, but to, to, to also hit that speaking circuit again, go back out, speak to people on a broader scale, and not only just industry um, conferences and seminars, but in just, I call it industry adjacent. So things like here in Boston, we're very fortunate to have Outbio, which is an LBGTQIA or, uh, organization that's really heavily focused on the biotech. It is 100% focused in biotech. Um, large organization, and I'm active in that. Um, trying to trying to actually show up in a different way. Um, STEM programs, you know, the the educational programs to help um, disenfranchised uh, youths uh, to to find p- avenues uh, in in the sciences. Um, really trying to focus on those areas to be more impactful. And it could be generations removed. It could be you know people so young they don't even you know they're not even thinking about college yet. Um, but really trying to be um, um, active on that front. Brilliant. And on the topic of succession planning, um, what what do you look for in future quality leaders? What skills, um, whether that be, I suppose, more of the softer skills um, characteristics? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting um, uh, question. Uh I know it when I see it. I, you know, it's it's really hard to it's hard to necessarily put all of it into into one you know finite description. Yeah. Um, you know, pure leadership. I want somebody who who puts their team ahead of themselves. You know, who it is not about it. It's not about me. Uh, my my role is not about me. It's about the people that are are supporting me within the organization. Um, and I want to make sure that my the person who takes over when i decide to leave also has their best interest um that 
I, I do think that that enterprise viewpoint, that it is much bigger than quality, that quality can only be successful if we think of the company as a whole. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say I'm a finance expert or an IT expert, um, but I know I know when I when when I believe the head of IT should be involved in a conversation and they're not in a room and I stop the conversation and make sure that we have the right players in there. And that's what I look for. Um, I think, you know, on the on the 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 personality traits, genuine, um, you know, somebody who is who is a genuine person who authentic who lets people in because we are people. We spend more time together in this in the workplace than we do with our families uh, many times. Um, it doesn't have to, we don't have to be best friends. We don't have to be, you know, brothers and sisters or what have you, but we have to know that we're authentic. We have to know that, you know, I've got your back and you've got mine, or we're not going to be successful. Um, you know, we ask our people to move mountains for us. Uh, and, and I expect, uh, you know, my leaders to move mountains for them. And that means making sure that they have the space to run their personal life when times go crazy. Um, you know, because we ask a lot when times go crazy at work, I need you at work as well. Yeah. And uh, coming towards the end of the, the, the questions from, um, for me, but I suppose if you had to summarize the legacy that you would want to leave behind and how you want to be known for, um, in the future, how would you, how would you describe that? <laughs> what well, what would my tombstone say? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was hard but fair. Uh, you know, it's I, I ask a lot of people, um, and again, it's always with that the the best interest of the patient in mind. Um, but with that said, I don't ask anything of anybody that I've not done that I'm not willing to do. Um, and so I I do think I show up very fair, um, and and I hope that people acknowledge that. But I also drive people very hard, especially when I see what they have in them. Um, you know, it sometimes it takes a push to get somebody up that next step. Um, and I'd like to I'd like to think that there's a fair number of people who think I push them up that next step, or maybe even two steps. Yeah. Is there anyone uh, who who's been the biggest inspiration to you in your career? Yeah, I, 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 I've thought about that. And I would love to say yes, I would love to say that this person inspired me what I can what I can point out is people who have had faith in me, who have put me in situations where I might not have been the perfect person for that role. But I was um, willing to take it and do whatever it whatever needed to occur to learn what you know to to learn or to achieve uh the goal that they they put in front of me um and so various heads of quality over the years you know i i do look at them and i'm very thankful for the opportunities they gave me um and pushed me up steps um i would say you know georgetta pasquala is is one who comes to mind where um I, you know, I can't imagine a kinder, more wonderful person out there. And she drove me to find something in, inside myself. She also drove me to look outside of quality control and think of quality assurance, think of bigger picture. Um, and she was never afraid to put me in my place when I needed to be put in my place because I thought I knew a lot, <laughs> even when I didn't. Um, but I, I mean, I think she, you know, she's somebody that I, I definitely lean on. Our boss, the you know, um, when when we joined uh, uh, Dedra and Mary Kuhn was, you know, she taught me so much about inspections and inspection management, um, you know, that it was 
it was, I still take those lessons um, home today. I, it's still what I build today. I, I don't think they can be improved upon. Um, so there's been a lot of, a lot of people in my career that I think have, you know, given me inspiration and prodded and pushed and, you know, told me, told me to tamp it down a little bit over oh, at, at certain times. Excellent. Well, my final question would be, um, what inspires you and, and what really keeps you doing what you're doing and, and get you up in the morning? You, you know, a lot of people, um, in our industry talk about the impact to the patient and it's, it's super, it's very meaningful. It, it, it resonates with me as well. My mission for probably in my mind, anyways, my mission for the last 10 or 15 years has been not only to transform patient journey, it's been, it's been to make some impact to transform how we treat diseases to impact healthcare, um, as we see it today. And I think we have with, you know, with harnessing the immune system, with these novel indications that we take cells and do amazing things with, I think we are transforming healthcare. Um, I don't think it's enough. I think healthcare in general needs, you know, major overhaul. Maybe that's what I should do is run for political office and really, really try to make a difference. I don't think, I don't think I have to be. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's what, that's what gets me up is, is the thought of, not only transforming a person's life, um, but to transform how we treat these incredibly horrible diseases. Yeah, beautiful. I think that's a really good way to, to finish the conversation, Greg. Um, it's been great. Um, thank you for for joining us on the show. And it'd be great to do another a follow up to this, just to see how you're getting on with that vision in in you know in the future. Um, but um, if people want to reach out to you, is LinkedIn generally the best platform? Yeah, I, you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, I some days not as active as others, and some days I go overboard and, and really go hot and heavy, especially in this this time in um, uh, in our our industry where so many people are finding themselves in need of jobs. You know, companies laying off people. I like to be active and like to try to use my network to help people. So I am active, and it's it is a good way to get a hold of me. And you know, I'm usually very open to sharing. Um, you know, phone numbers and email addresses to, to people that connect with me um, outside of just the sheer volume of recruiters that try to connect with me. Um, <laughs> you know, there are a fair number of those, but uh, no, I think it is the best avenue and, and I'm happy to come back and, you know, as many times as you'll have me, I'll, you know, pick a topic and I'll talk. That's what most people will tell you is I can talk till, you know, Till nobody else has left Sam. <laughs> I'm surprised to hear that loads of recruiters reach out to you. <laughs> um, well, look, thank you very much again, Greg. It's been a pleasure. Um, and um, we will um, yeah, talk again soon. But yeah, right. thanks for joining us on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening to today's show. I hope that you got value from it, whether you're starting your career in quality or if you're at the top of your field. Today's episode was brought to you by RX Group. I'm the founder of RX Group. We are a pharma and biotech recruitment organization focusing purely on quality assurance. We recruit consultants and senior level permanent quality professionals into the pharma and biotech industry. If we can support you, whether that be in a hiring capacity or if you yourself are looking for work, please get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Visit our LinkedIn page where you can subscribe to the podcast and visit our website, www.rx-group.io to find out more about us. See you soon.